Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Welcome back to the podcast. It is I, Grognard the Young, the Young Grognard, kicking it to you live with another episode of the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the adventure, the kings, and the quest, Gorgaris. In the last episode of the podcast, you know, the best part is my cats just love to jingle their toys right next to me when I'm playing, when I'm doing this. Anyway, last episode of the podcast, my cats weren't doing that. Uh, they're but this cheering you on. Are, yeah, they're they're really a little twinkle of support. You know, um, I think cat owners approve of the show. You know, I think that's really what I'm doing. Um, but in the last episode... Our party had gone to Glint, found out some very interesting things as they sought a, a white dragon in order to claim some of its sweet, tasty ice dragon blood in order to make a certain fire immunity potion before their very long and painful, arduous quest to go, I guess, go find another dragon. Uh, a very ancient fire dragon in Gorgareth, where Jarzak is very readily welcomed and beloved. Um... What they found in Goggle Glint, other than a very peculiar view of the Sundering Spire, the giant metal spike made out of metalized bodies, uh, they saw it grow as more and more bodies continue to climb up it and continue to form the spire. Um, the party also found that the Kirin that was defending the post apparently turned into a giant explosion of sunlight and had never been seen since. And around that exact same time, the white dragon led sort of a goblin march from the Keratos Mountains all the way to the mountains of Sunderspine, which is uh, quite a ways away. Our party deciding to take full advantage of Goggle Glint and what they've got available for technology used the little telescopic lenses that they've got here to be able to scope out where the white dragon may be hiding. And uh, it seemed pretty obvious when they looked uh, towards the uh, barony of Solthide that the white dragon, Eindindrith, must be having some sort of a party out there because there is plenty of devastation, plenty of trouble, and a lot of snowy spots that weren't so snowy before. Um, our party decided then to pack up their belongings and say a very painful goodbye to everybody that they were leaving behind, including many friends and many allies here. Uh, they, I guess, had asked for a painting to be painted uh, paintily in their honor. And with that, our party pretty much grabbed their stuff and left on horses and dog and we're now headed 
along the western road in the direction of Dustwind, and then farther off to the Elven Wood and Solthide. But there was a direction, if I'm not mistaken from the last episode, that our party did not want to go near Dustwind for fear that at that intersection there would be quite a dangerous possibility of the Iron Maelstrom just kind of hanging out, if I'm not mistaken. Does this all check out? Yes. Very well. So, yeah, and the time of year is about mid-spring at this point, mid into later spring. Um, So it's definitely very melty out there. Uh, The ground is starting to finally, I guess, kind of the squishiness of much of the soil at this point is gone. And it seems like the earth is starting to come into full bloom. Many of the trees, little uh, leaves are starting to blossom, little bright green and viridian little bouquets of new leaves and leaflings. Um, Tons of flowers are beginning to blossom and bloom here. And if it weren't for the fact that there's a giant war with a spooky metal demi-human god thing, you might think that it's kind of beautiful out here in this part of the world over in Corydale. Uh, but alas, with the understanding wars on the horizon, our party begin their wonderful quest for Solthide and Eindindrith the Dragon. So I guess my question is, for this first leg of our European tour here, uh, the band Seeking Klika on their way back to our wonderful venue, the uh, Impromptu Mass Tomb. No, I'm just kidding. I heard that name the other day, Seeking Klika, and I was like, that still sounds so much like a band name. <laughs> Turns out that's the name of the, the party. That's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna <laughs> name the uh, the official party name. It's not Heroes of, of uh, Amaroth. It's not gonna be the Champions of Amaroth. It's Seeking Klika. Very emotional post-hardcore band. Hell yeah. Really? So I guess my question is, on the road out of Corydale, we're going to be traveling for about, I'd say about from where you are in Enton, following the road at a pretty brisk pace. You guys are going to be traveling through Moors for the first day or two before hitting Marlboro, And you guys will then be heading through hills for about three and a half, four days. So we've got a lot of time ahead of us before we're going to be near Dustwind. So what would we like to do for our improvisational travel section? Please, not all at once. You didn't even give us time. Oh, I'm muted. Well, you're muted now. But I will say also that the weather has been pretty pretty forgiving you guys travel on pretty warm very much so like the sort of mid to late spring weather where it's like just kissing 70s and high 60s you know what i mean and the area is windy but not so windy now that the trees are starting to kind of like fill out with all the leaves and everything so for what it's worth it's almost like upsetting how nice the weather and the journey is at this point again traveling through the the hills and the fields out here is such a misrepresentation of literally everywhere else in the world. And you may be in just the last safe bastion out here. So with beautiful travels in mind, now that I've bought you time, who's going to tell me their little improv first? I was too busy painting a word picture in my head. Thanks to your beautiful descriptions. So I couldn't think of anything. Was it because I said that it was kissing 70s? Little smooches. 
Kisses? Seeking Clica's first album. <laughs> Just barely kissing 70s. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Little Smooches. That would be... <laughs> yeah, that too. All right, not uh, all at once. Um, I guess for Clica, while we're all traveling... Hmm. No, I got nothing. I don't want to have to fill the space with a combat. During during the the hills portion of the travel, uh, whenever we have an opportunity, like during like short rests and stuff, Norhill goes off towards like the crest of the highest hill nearby, so that he can sort of like get a lay of the land and report back to whoever's making the survival checks. Uh, it's sort of main road at this point. Well, you know, to, or you know, to sort of get an idea of like, you know, what's ahead of us, what's behind us, and what we can expect. Sure, sure. Does Norhill leave any? Oh, sorry. I was going to ask if Norhill leaves any sweet markings on any of the stones. Um, if he sees a place that looks like it would be like good for building or something uh he'll leave a like a dig here marking god damn norhill he's already planning out his little condominiums and everything he's like well when the gnomes are seemingly like completely wiped off the map and we can bring the dwarves to their new homes this would make a nice place for an in-ground swimming pool or he's- well you know when we've won the war and the time has come to like rebuild and repair uh, we're going to need to know where the good places are yeah yeah, yeah I get it you okay, want a spot where you can plant some hill dwarves yeah we want hill dwarves now um, okay so what about Anton you were going to say something he's just taking advantage of basket in the sunlight I think he's trying to take note of like any of the spring growth that's coming through like little flowers plants any animals like he's curious if He's kind of curious that if nature is running normally that it is, despite the Herald of Steel and all his doings. And I guess he's just getting an idea that at least whatever the Herald of Steel is doing, whatever's happening with the star, it's not affecting nature. <laughs> That's good. A frog begin to sing like a bird. Oh, God. <laughs> You're like, nah, they oh, always no. do that. So it begins. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think this time of year is probably... A very conflicted time for Klika because she really enjoys like the uh, warm spring breeze that comes through and just how it carries like freshness on it and can make clothes and everything else that you hang out smell very good if you just leave them out in it. But also everything is super sloppy because all the frost is melting. So it like the ground is just a muddy mess if you walk over it more than once. So it's just, it's tough on Kalika. No, we'll say, I think Kalika probably sets out with that fear, but is happily delighted that by so many sunny days, the ground's actually pretty well baked that the, uh, there's not really much muddy slime and there's not much dust either. And Kalika will just spend a lot of time playing with her dog. She's not sure if she's teaching it tricks or not. Cause she doesn't know any tricks. But she knows dogs are supposed to know tricks, so she's trying. She just like says, "Do a trick." 
Dog just stares back at her like, ooh, a staring contest, I see. <laughs> Dog immediately blinks, yeah, not track. understanding the game. Like, yeah, you'll get better at it. Yeah. What is your dog's name anyway? Uh, Did you I name th- it? No, I didn't. If I remember correctly, you said something about how the dog has been around for like three games, and that seemed like rule enough to name the dog. Yes. But now I'm afraid that it's just going to get lost. So all of Anton's horses that he names gets lost. That's why Cleek is worried. We've had to abandon so many mounts. <laughs> Say that. Hey, hey, hey. Okay. Listen, Jarzak can roll a knowledge of nature check as the party is openly asking the question, what did Kleeka name her fucking dog? And then you guys will be like, well, we probably shouldn't name it because we lose so many. And Jarzak said, I got a. I don't know what I got yet. Neither. And tension's killing me. Uh, non nat 20. Damn. Jarzak has a pretty good idea because a lot of the mounted combatants of Gorgareth had to train horses and they weren't always, I don't want to say it, guaranteed that they or the horse would ever come home. From what he knows, trained horses are a lot easier to accept going back to life among the other horses than like other mounts and other critters are. You know what I mean? You raise a squirrel indoors and put it back outside. It's not going to do too good. But you put a horse back outside in the wild and it'll pretty much pick up where it left off a lot better than other animals. So what Jarzak can tell you guys with a wonderful 20 is that so long as they didn't get picked up by somebody else, so long as they didn't get eaten, they're probably somewhere else with other horses. Yeah, guys, we just we set them free, you know? It's not like we left him to die. We didn't leave him tied up, right? He looks over directly at Norhill, who seems <laughs> like the type to tie up a horse to come back to it. <laughs> Just a, a set of iron chains and a padlock and a bunch of horse bones. You're like, oh. <laughs> well, it seems that we are single-handedly repopulating this entire region with wild horses, so perhaps that's good for the environment. Yeah, and horse bones are great for the soil. So with that, <laughs> so uh, I suppose unless Cleek actually came up with a name for the dog in the time that we just spent rambling about horses. Shalt. It's like salt with an H. Shalt. Okay. Very good. I don't know why. I don't want to know why. Is it just shalt because shalt? Yeah. Is that like the dog voice that Klika does where she's like, Who's our shawty bird? <laughs> Maybe. You don't get to judge Klika and how she interacts with her dog, Shalt. What breed of dog do you have in mind? I'd prefer something with fur on it because I like furry dogs. The second I thought that that was like, to, to be not a furry dog would be a like a hairless dog. And then I remembered like, oh, no, there's dogs with like hair. And then there's dogs with fur. And then there's dogs with nothing. Right. This is, I was thinking a wolfhound. But, yeah. Know, I, mean, I, 
their hair is more wiry, so yeah, I'm like, assuming Cleco uh, would want more fluff. Yes, absolutely. We're talking like just Saint something Bernard that or something, something that's very high maintenance for most people, but for Cleco, it's the perfect amount of maintenance. Oh, Jar- <laughs> actually, Jarzak's having a great time. Is it like Cleco has spent like, so much time cleaning her dog now? Is it like a chow chow or whatever they call them? One of those like giant piles of fluff. Yeah. Like uh the fucking uh I I'm drawing a blank on it. It's not the Burmese fountain dog, but the only like other that. one I could think of is those white haired dogs there that have like gray on them. And they like all you ever see is like the black tip of their nose and their tongue hanging out, and they just you can never see their eyes. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, t- yeah. Tibetan Mastiff is what I'm thinking of. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I figure okay. We got a little yeah. stuffing and fluffing there. Very well. So Schalt, the <laughs> Tibetan Mastiff. Very good. So I guess my question is, uh, what's Darzak up to? Uh, Jarzak is going to be uh, most nights when we stop. Uh, he'll like uh, when he's on his own or doing watches or whatever take out his axe and look over like the names and kind of like one of those things where you just like run your finger across the carved in names and just gonna take nice deep breaths <laughs> I'll also say this much on those nights where you begin to do that you feel a very particular itchy tingle in the back of your neck Yep. It's okay. Kleeka got a pet centipede while she stopped. It's just <laughs> it's just her pet centipede. <laughs> oh god, millipede, millipede. I said millipede. <laughs> that jar is heck. You trusted a bug too much. That bug love will kill you, I did here. Um okay. Well, yeah, so does Jarzak do anything about that? Because I wasn't kidding about the itchies. Uh <laughs> When he feels it, he kind of like lets out one last breath and like puts the axe away. It's just like, no, I got this. Okay. So as you kind of just sit there chilling, waiting for something, nothing seems to come. And instead the wind rustles through the little new leaves here, broken a bit by the foliage, but... Nothing seems to stir. The flame seems to get licked at by the uh, by the winds, but for the most part, it seems like the camp's brutally empty. Besides the sounds of many snoring creatures. Good, good, perfect. Very well. And so, with that, um, the party travels on and on and on until. We get to a point where we notice the hills become less and less populated by trees and more and more populated by shrubs and grasses as dust wind is on the horizon. From where you guys are in altitude looking down where you can see like the general shape of where dust wind is and you can see where the highway wants you guys to go. But The question is, this is sort of a breaking point where the party has the opportunity to sort of skip, cut around, and try to take a more rustic route instead of running into trouble on the highway. 
So my question is, how wide of a berth are we trying to have here? It's looking like on a decent amount of distance from you guys in the highway, it'll be a two-day trip around Dustwind. If you want an exceptionally long one, it'll be about three. And if you want one that's like as far as humanly possible, it'll be four. I don't know if that's necessary. I feel like thinking realistically of the idea of avoiding any trouble on the road seems slim so yeah but the longest time the better three days out of our way is a small price to pay to avoid getting caught up in a siege we have the longer route well just curious Klika how do you feel about this I know you have Clicker would like to see how Dustwind's doing, but Clicker knows that it's probably not for the best for everybody if we do that. I have a question. Would Anton's send spell and how he communicated with the High Priest, I don't know if this will necessarily work. There's no way he could communicate with I'm trying to remember the dragon's name. I literally have the paper up and I don't think I could say it. Klika's supposed father's name. Could I like send a message to them? I mean, you never met him. Yeah, so I was thinking it definitely wasn't a thing. Okay. Unless unless the spell just requires you to know who they are, but that feels like that just feels like having a like a like a pop yeah. star Twitter account and leaving your mentions and your, your inbox open to the press. That is a very dangerous move. So I would say you wouldn't really be able to do such a thing. But yeah, it's only a cre- to a creature with which you are familiar. So yeah, mm. it wouldn't work. Well, that's kind of ironic. But anyway, um, so we're taking the three-day route? Uh, Baldi locks like route is just right. Okay. So in that case, who's going to be rolling our knowledge of nature checks to wander through the water-repelling uh, sandy dunes and uh, shrubby wastes out here? You said nature? Mm, oh, sorry. Survival. Okay. Then not me. I was like, oh, I could roll this one. And I'm like, but I don't think that's what he meant. <laughs> I'm also going to ask for some uh, trail rations uh, very soon. So we're at about the eight day mark for our trail rations. So I'm going to hope everybody's got eight trail rations worth of food to give up each. Yep. Okay. So before we go into survivals, let's check all those off real quick. We bought a whole bunch, didn't we? Sure did. And if anyone... Runs out, we can do create food and water, yeah, as a backup. How many did we get each? It doesn't seem like I recorded that person. We each got like 10. Okay, I'm now up to date. Very well. So, what do we get on survival? Who are doing survival is probably a better question. 
Yeah, doesn't Anton usually do survivals? Uh, Klika got a 15 on hers. Just waiting so. for my thing to load. Okay. I mean, with a 15 on it. You say got a 10? Yeah. Anton, get out of here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So that as the party <laughs> enters the... Uh, the sort of uh, drought lands here outside of Dustwind, um, you can definitely tell that on quieter days when the wind's not pulling, that you guys can hear in the distance clamor and clanging of swords on metal, shields slamming in the far, far distance, as if uh, it could just be a, a blacksmith hammering away at the forge. But it seems far too likely that this is a sign of conflict and combat in the distance. And with the time that you guys have in your travels to find hillocks to climb up to get a better view into Dustwind at about the midway point of your travels, it's very easy to see smoke and fires in the distance in Dustwind's vicinity. And so, um, can I get one more survival check? As we are probably on the second day going to make it to one of the other major highways leading from Dustwind. And that is a major highway that leads to the halls of silver and steel. Did Klika's dagger ever vibrate? Did we ever get close enough where her dagger vibrated? No. Okay. Are you stop taking all my things from me. You've literally done like, like everything from the horse scene that I was going to have you guys see your horses in the distance in the fields up ahead to you guys asking about sending messages to people that you might know faintly and then talking about the fucking dagger. Can I just, can I just run my game? Anything else? Jarzak, you want to ask if you're going to have a combat real quick? Go ahead. Hey, I'd... Dan, if we could have like a combat sometime soon, that would be great for me. So... <laughs> Don't worry. Clica got a nat 20 on her survival. Clica found a fucking shortcut, okay? Great, good for her. So you find one of the best ways to pass over the uh, Dwarvish Highway here, and by cutting through at a certain uh, direction at a certain time of day, you find that it's a lot easier to pass through a section over one big hill down a nice series of very gradual decline, being able to skirt off about half a day's trip in just one afternoon. But as the night begins to settle, Klika, as you dream of what could possibly be happening over in your fancy schmancy, sandy, dust windy potential home, you do feel your dagger begin to vibrate ever so slightly as you look towards that city in the distance. So what would you like to do? I guess Clica will pull her dagger out. Um, if we're like in camp, she'll get out of like her bedroll and out of the tent to go look towards. I'm sure she can, if we're close enough, we can still see the fires on the horizon, wherever dust one would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just holding flicker in her hand, she'll sort of just look towards dust wind and wonder if anyone is getting this mess or getting the notification that she is near her home and it vibrates a few more times but each time it seems to have less and less like strength to each vibration as it kind of like peters off almost like somebody like stirring in their sleep and slowly drifting off back to sleep 
Um, but at this point, this is basically when you guys are setting up camp. So I'll say that it's probably at a moment where Klika was helping with setting something up or putting the dogs down or something like that, or, or dog rather. Apparently you got a second dog. It, it left just as I said, <laughs> so it's gone now. Oh, oh um, wow. See ya. A fleeting hound. That's um, not a great place so, to lose a dog. No. But as you're looking off in the distance and walk away from the camp, uh, Jarzak, you feel that tingling itch on the back of your neck again as the sun sets uh, firmly in the northern horizon um, behind the mountain. It's very dark now. Very dark all of a sudden. Yeah, when I feel that, I tighten my grip on my blade on on the sword. Okay, so I imagine Norhill and Anton helping clean up camp and set up the camp, rather. You guys can both probably very well see Kaliga holding the dagger and, like, staring off into the horizon. And Jarzak comes to, like, just like a dead stop and lowers hand slowly to the blade. <laughs> you guys see both of them receiving very grim notifications. Meanwhile, you two ding-dongs are just like, ooh, beets for dinner. <sighs> so what would you two like to do? I imagine Norhill's the one handling setting up like the big giant pavilion tent that we have. Very well. Like he's you know he's got the strength to you know set up the stakes and raise the poles and everything. Was this to say that he doesn't notice what's going on? No, probably not. He's got he's too focused on doing that correctly. All right. What about Anton? Can Anton do a detect evil to see if he can sense an evil entity like outside of Jarzak? By all means. Within like 30 feet of us. Like if there if he could like sense like something's close. Go ahead. Anton's got so, the itchy feeling too. I got the itch. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> Apparently just Norhill's the only one who's not. And he's like, damn layabouts, not even helping build the camp. <laughs> Meanwhile, everybody's just like dead looking off in the distance at some other evil. <laughs> it's just... Meanwhile, Norhill's just grumbling, thinking about the evils of being a lazy lazy bone. Um, so uh, when you cast it, uh, what does the casting look like? Imagine it's almost like a little bit of like a glow happens around his eyes and his head not necessarily a halo but just like to give a sense that he's like getting it up like his sensory awareness okay. are you getting maybe um, like a helmet i don't know something of that sort. No, i get what you're saying yeah. so i don't remember the exact specifics for detect evil but i will say you detect an evil presence surrounding jarzak uh nearly at the farthest edge of the perimeter of your detection spell I can't remember it says like detecting the the value of the evil, but Mm. the uh, evil itself doesn't seem to be so overwhelming that it's like, like, fucking the end all be all of of evil here. But I will say that like, as you focus in and you sense the evil surrounding Jarzak and you sort of turn a little bit in his direction and you like start to focus in on him, you feel almost like, like witnessing like great white sharks, like shadowy image underneath the boat. (laughs) like a gray spell just moved drifting by effortlessly. You sense some foreboding evil of immense force drift just outside the radar and all the evil forms begin to slowly move in closer and closer around Jarzak. Um, uh, Klika, on the other hand, while you're holding the dagger, 
you receive a strange vibration in your head as you hold it. Some voice that you haven't heard in a long, long time. Uh, that being the Lord of Dustwind itself in a panicked tone as he yells out in your own head and says, Klika, if you can hear this, it may be too late for me. But just know that I love you and I have always loved you. If you have the dagger, abandon it at all costs. All has been lost. Please find your mother. She will know what to do. And as he's standing there holding the dagger, four dark and shadowy wraith-like forms seem to drift into camp surrounding Jarzak. You know, it's not it's not fun to be this DM. But let's roll for initiative real quick. Oh, like yeah. like, <laughs> Klinka's not going to have answer. a magic weapon. <laughs> well, welcome to the game, Klinka. Klinka pulls out the die katana. Klinka <laughs> <laughs> uh, lays the die oh, katana shit. on the ground to unsheath it because she can't unsheath it with her arms. She has to put her foot on it and pull it out sideways. Um, I, don't, okay. I just well, don't think she could stretch long enough to get the whole thing out. <laughs> she just has to wedge it in something and start walking backwards. Yes. But, okay, I got a 19. Anybody beat me? 21. Very good. Anybody beat 21? No. Okay, what did everybody else get? I got an eight. Got a nine. Very good. Very good. Come on, Norhill. That's going to be a four. Norhill is very so busy much. with that ten. <laughs> we're all just so quiet because we're like, no, we probably got the lowest. <laughs> oh, no. What do you well, want from well. what, what do you expect from Norhill? So, as Kalika hears this message come intruding into her thoughts, she looks down at the dagger, and as she does, she sees in a reflection by the campfire light, a very dim, or maybe just the lantern light, or even the light from Anton's spell reflecting off the dagger's blade. She looks down into it and sees Jarzak standing there stunned in the reflection on the blade and sees dark shadows seem to swarm around him. And that's when Klika has an opportunity to either respond to the message uh, real quick or... Hmm. I guess engaging combat. Maybe that's something you could do. Yeah, I think Klinka is going to respond to the message. Um, you, you have to be okay. And Klinka's not 100% sure if you're Klinka's dad or not. And also Klinka has no idea where to find her mom. So you're going to have to answer these questions later, but Klika has to go kill some shadows now. Okay, bye. Very well. So I imagine everybody in camp, because camp's not Titanic, everybody's probably within 15 to 20 feet of one another. Um, there is the giant tent that Norhill has spent a painstaking amount of time setting up. There's also a few horses and a dog. 
wonderfully probably strapped to a tree or a big shrub or something like that, or even just one of the more sturdy posts of the tent. Um, again, I don't know that you guys would set up light out of fear of what could be watching you. Um, so I don't know. I guess that's a good question. So what is the case for the lighting? I just described the camp, but like, what's the deal with the actual lighting here? I don't know if Anton would lay down the lantern or if you guys would have had a campfire or something, but. I, I think they would have had some kind of like fire or light source, whatever the group agreed on. If they wanted to keep stealth, I think maybe like a dimmed version of lantern. Norhill thinks yeah. that we're still too close to Dustwind for a fire, but the so maybe the lantern be a problem. Oh, Probably dead. holding hand hanging on a central post on the uh, big giant tent. Exactly. Okay, so that's the lighting you guys have. It covers pretty much the entire camp out to I guess the outskirts where the wraith-like forms start to drift into camp. So, with that being said, I like to imagine in my head that Jarzak is in the northeast corner. Kalika's in the northwest corner. Norhill is in the true west by the tent. And Anton is probably probably smack dab in the middle. So Kalika sent back her wonderful voicemail. And what's the rest of your action? Uh, she's going to bonus action Shadow Blade and then with start... With the blade? With, with the dagger? Yeah. I mean, like, she can use it as the basis of the blade just makes okay. it easier uh <laughs> and then start moving toward one of the shadowy wraith-like figures can she get in base contact uh yeah yeah you'd be able to get there okay um yeah, like i said they're all about 15 feet away from jarzak and there's four of them are they but, are two of them within five feet of each other? No, they kind of spread out like Lord of the Ringsy style, okay. circling around the Jarzak. And again, I will say, Anton never spoke of it, but Anton sensed the the great white shark floating in the darkness beyond, and Jarzak senses a very extra itchy now that the great white shark has loomed in the presence. So. Uh, yeah, so Kliga will try and make an attack on the one she gets into contact with, with uh, her Shadow Blade and uh, the Booming Blade cantrip. Okay. Go ahead and roll your attack roll, if you'd please. Uh, 21. Okay, so 21 is a hit. And that's 16 damage. Psychic and Thunder. Is it 16? Yeah. Dang. Okay. And so as you hurry up to one of these dark forms and swing in on it, uh, you recognize this wraith-like form happens to look very, very strangely similar to one of the uh, Avian natives who you had killed within Era's steading. In almost like a facsimile of life, a ghostly form of that guy. You stab in on him and do a wallop and a damage. And he you, does not look to be totally bothered by it. You followed us all the way from one desert 
across an ocean through a bunch of forests and nice places to another desert. I thought you... In the darkness beyond, a voice chimes back, I will always follow, and I will have my revenge. And Valor Keth makes his presence known as a dark black filmy line seems to drift across the ground, and the chittering of thousands of little insect legs seems to make a cacophony as if like, as if wheat in the wind kind of just all over itself. Did Gleek have another action she'd like to do? No, I think that's it. Uh, yeah, because that was her bonus action move action. Also, I really just cannot stop imagining this whole time that we're just a family going to the beach and Norhill was the one who got dumped with all the coolers and gear and <laughs> like Jarzak and Clicker, the kids just run right into the water and it had to follow them to make sure they don't drown. And now Norhill's just grumbly setting up like the umbrella and all the blankets by himself, but it's just the big tent. <laughs> I'm imagining Norhill in like a Hawaiian shirt. He's got like uh, <laughs> like the uh, Raban um, sunblock. You know, the, the white stuff all over his yep. nose. Just keep swearing about how hard it is to pitch a tent in sand. <laughs> Very well. Yeah. So that's my well, turn. If memory serves, I'm next in initiative. And that black rolling fog seems to fully extend into camp. And as if sort of swallowing whole all chances of life, like a tide rising, the darkness begins to expand and float up at like an elevator falling down shaft speed, just straight up, just as it just fills the entire vicinity with inky black darkness. Jarzak can see totally fine as he looks around the camp in terror and sees the wraith-like forms unfazed, sees Valaketh in the darkness unfazed, but sees an entire group of players, or I guess friends, uh, completely and utterly enveloped in absolute darkness. And with that, the four wraiths begin their onslaught as one of them rushes up to you and one rushes up to each and every other member of the party. So, click what's your armor class? 21. Okay. So, yours swings in at you and with um, great reflexes. Oh, actually, meets it, beats it. I forgot you're blinded. Um, I so cast that, shield. Okay. So at the last second, when you feel one of their deathly claws reaching in for you, the one of that priestly guy from Avi, uh, yeah, you pull up a magical shield and deflect the ghostly hand that just about grabs for your neck. Uh, Anton, who is standing here sensing the danger and the evil, uh, what's your armor class? 16. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Okay, well, both of my attacks hit. And so with that, as one of them comes closer to you, you hear a ghostly moaning. And this ghostly moaning sounds feminine, I guess, if you could say that. And only when it gets nice and close to you, do you recall this voice belonging to a certain evil cleric from your distant past? <laughs> and as the she gets close enough as she gets close enough to you and you feel two ghostly cold hands grab onto your shoulders it seems to cut straight through your armor and you take 18 points of necrotic damage Ooh, now could you give me a constitution saving throw 
One second. Oh no, it was that chick. <laughs> what? Now? <laughs> Nobody tell Gilmo. <laughs> He's like, she's back. Oh, That's so stupid. Her name was Alimia, by the way. Oh, shit. I wasn't ready for that, apparently. Wait, what did you get? Did you say fumble? All right, your your hit point <laughs> maximum is reduced by 18. So you took that damage, and that's your new maximum. Okay. So now, one of them comes in on Jarzak, but Jarzak, you are not caught off guard by this thing. What's your armor class? Uh, right now, I imagine 14. I don't oh, think I'd okay. be ready yeah. with a shield or anything. No, I mean, I said it wasn't a surprise or anything like that. I didn't take you guys off the oh, off the okay. card by surprise, especially with your itchies. Then six. And how... I was going to say, how often you grab your shield and blade whenever you feel any sense that there's danger abound. But because you have the great weapon fighting, does that mean you're only fighting with... Dreadzak usually always starts with a shield and then puts it away right away. And then go just when he starts it, when he gets close enough to attack, he puts the shield away and starts attacking with two hands every time, even with the axe. Yeah. Okay. Well, fair enough. Either way, it didn't hit no matter what. So with that, you managed to guard yourself as before you a orc who looks kind of familiar to you, but in a weird distance sense. Uh, approaches and tries to slash at your face. You block with your shield and prepare to double hand your weapon back at him. Uh, Norhill, what's her armor class? Uh, right now, probably 18. I doubt that Norhill is pitching uh, uh, pitching the giant 10 with a shield in one hand. Before the combat ensued, everybody went like deathly quiet and everybody started taking some steps back. So I imagine there was probably some sense of like a supernatural warning that you may have sensed or felt or something like that so i'd give it to you that you'd be like why is everybody so quiet and as you turn and look then you see oh no all right so then 20 okay so with that uh one of them comes floating down from atop the tent towards you and as the darkness starts to rise it kind of like sinks into it and you can feel it come through the darkness towards you but at the last second, as it kind of crested over the tent's edge and comes down towards you, it looked sort of like a Durgar that you had seen at one point riding on some sort of a giant bestial slug beast. And as it gets closer, its look of vengeance on its face haunts you almost as much as this demon. Uh, so what's your, I mean, give me a constitution saving throw, would you? Um, 21. Okay. So with that, you take a total of 20 points of damage, but your hit point maximum is not affected. So now uh, we go to next highest in initiative, which I believe was a nine for Jarzak. Yep, that You're was muted, me. I and okay. is anyone close enough to me where I could be flanking? I know I'll get attack of opportunity if I move away, but... You the dirt to Klika in like 15 feet. Okay. I'll do that. Very well. And I'm gonna 
Yeah, I'll Hexblade Curse the one that's attacking Klika. Mm -hmm. That's my bonus action, and then I'm going to attack it. Okay. So, as you're swinging in, Valaketh seems to beckon from the darkness, and you can see him approaching with your strange dark vision that you have. And as he approaches, he speaks to you in a beckoning tone where he says, You will always fail, Jarzak. As soon as you said goodbye, you said hello to your death. Like, that was corny shit. Yeah, he really, he really choked on that one, huh? I wouldn't be talking there, Dark Vision, okay? Let's see you get out of this one. Uh, what did we get, Jarzak? See you looking up the stats. Yeah, I am. Uh, <laughs> I would be so irresponsibly no, 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 no. mad at no, you for I'm, that. I'm looking up the stats on my great weapon fighting to see what it, uh, minus and all that because I'm going to do that, which would be a uh, 17 we to have hit. To announce that. Yeah, but you have to announce that before you swing. We're talking about the minus 5 plus 10? Yeah. You have to announce that before you swing. I announced it. I swung. I, I had it. it. I had it pulled up. I was reading it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna give it to you. But in the future, that way, we at least now we can describe it. So does a, a seventeen a 17 hit. hit? What seventeen? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. he's good. So as you rush up to defend Klika, your blade is much too long, uh, and you slice right through and hit Klika too. 17-1 hit Klika. Uh, well, it uh, will now. If you didn't, okay. minus five, okay. god damn it. Uh, 17 damage. Okay. And, and I'm so with that, again. it does look at this point to be severed in a way that looks like it, it's it's beginning to peel apart into raw necrotic energy. Can you do that on every time the great weapon thing? Take the minus five, right? I believe so. Okay, yeah, I'll do it again then. I mean, don't quote me on it. I'm no feet scholar. Uh, you crit. A crit? Okie dokie. Well, that's good. So not only does the diamond sheen of the blade reduce its armor class permanently, right? Yep. Um, which was great because armor class is already kind of pitiful. But okay, let's get that double damage then. And you only add the modifier once, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's 25 plus... Uh, that's uh, going to be 28, and I forgot to add my three on the last damage I did from my Hexblade's Curse. Yeah, that'll kill it. Okay. So describe the kill. So you stabbed in once, and then what? Go for like a swinging backhand and chop its head off? Yeah. Yeah, Jarzak classic going for the head. Uh, that just I immediately turn towards uh, the next closest one and move over towards it. To flank, I assume okay. it's Norhill. Um, 
because you said no, it would be well, the nearest. Yeah, the one for Anton's only about twenty-five feet away from you now. Would you have? Yeah, you have the movement speed for it, right? Or no, because you spend a bonus action doing the curse, right? So you don't have the speedy no, boost, I right? Don't, I don't have the speedy boost. Okay, so you can't move. Or at you least said, you can make it sort of close. Yeah, I'll move the 15 feet closer. I'll give you the flank on it. Okay. So I guess what we'll say then is the uh, shadowy Valaketh from the darkness beyond says, you killed them once while they were living. I am not impressed by you killing their shadowy forms. They are weak. But think what you could do if you commanded them, Jarzak. And everybody can hear this. Everybody hears him speaking in the darkness beyond. The screeching of the raids is pretty much everything else that you can hear. But again, you all can hear Valakath now, which I don't know that anybody other than Anton actually ever heard him talk before. So, is, I don't know. There's specters, right? They're not like humanoids or anything. Uh, wait, who? The undead things? Yeah, the thing I just killed. No, they're raids. Okay. Which, I mean, I guess that would take Anton to tell you that, or anybody with the yeah. knowledge of religion. Well, I would have been able to tell uh, that with the, um, I think I would have been able to tell that with the detect evil, but maybe not. I don't know if I'll I could I'll say that you know exactly what they are. What? I said you would have, I, I said with this, I granted to you that you know exactly what they are. But, okay. So, uh, um, so with that, I guess Jarzak will respond to him and be like, I control over others it doesn't make you strong just means you're controlling the weak which as you can see does nothing okay and so with that we go now to Anton I suppose Anton what would you like to do originally I was going to cast Radiance of the Dawn but now that I realize they're technically undead would turn undead work on race, or is that a no? No, it would work. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna do that. So, are they any, any other race at least have to make a DC wisdom saving throw of 15? Are you using your Channel lantern defense. as the holy symbol? Yes. Hmm? Yes. Okay, so you rush over to the, uh, to the edge of the tent. And you grab it, and you're going to be doing your turn undead? Yep. Oh, boy. Okay. So with that, um, there is the one for you, the one for Jarzak, and the one for Norhill. Uh, The only one who can't see you right now is the one attacking Norhill, but I'll let it slide. I'll let you get that turn undead. So what does your turning look like? So, like you said, he's just going to rush towards the tent and really just grab at the lantern and just thrust it toward the sky and just, just y'all, like, be out of here, you foul beast. Go back to your resting place. We cannot have you here. Something along those lines. Holy smokes. Okay. So, two of them fail miserably, and the one that is on Norhill bound by some sort of otherworldly level of vengeance and hatred is buckling down on him twice as hard. 
um, the one that was behind uh, uh, Jarzak initially and the one that was beside you both look to be panicked. But the one on Norhill just does not look phased one bit. Um, okay. And so, yeah, I suppose that's it, unless you've got a bonus action. Uh, nothing of good use right now, no. Okay. Well, Norhill, let's go. Um, does the ghost appear to be wielding a weapon? No, it's got its spooky bony claws. All right, I'm going to swing at it. Uh, that's a disadvantage, right? Yeah, sure is. Right. Uh, that's still going to be a dirty 20 to hit, though. Okay, that's good. And I'm going to make this into a goading attack. Naturally. Uh, so that's going to be uh, 19 points of magical piercing and lightning damage as Norhill uh, shouts out, Spirit, we put you down once, we can do it again. And so the Durgar racely... to make a wisdom save of DC 15. I got a 20. Okay. And the wraith-like form of the Durgar that you see before you kind of mockingly, or I guess that you can't see before you, mockingly from the darkness says, I wouldn't attack any but you. You know what you did. This could all have been over, and you will pay. Uh, Norhill got a 17 on the second attack on the second attack to try and prove it wrong. Okay. Well, you succeed, so you proved it wrong. All right, now we go to Klikist. No, I'm just kidding. I rooted. I rolled to disprove. Um, and that's a 13 damage on that second attack. Okay, okay. So it seems to be pretty, pretty badly wounded by this. Uh, go, back to your, uh, go back to your rest, Toiler. Yeah, toilet. Toiler. Um, yeah, you know, and Drigger, they work themselves to death. The guy who sells toilets, a toiler. Um, <laughs> so with that, <laughs> no it's, actually, it's pronounced toiletier. So now it, yeah, right, that too. First one, then the other. But now it goes back to Klika, and you hear a voice beckoning to you in your head in the darkness, and it says, I will do everything I can. And you hear it kind of cut off really quickly as a raucous thunder clapping crackling of stone, like a lightning bolt from the heavens above, just like severs the mountain's leg. And you can see even in the, well, I guess you can't see in the distance. You just hear it. But basically an earthquake occurs in the distance. But because it takes so long for the sound to travel on it, you feel the wind kind of blow past you as whatever happens on the mountainside happens. But the sound of tumbling stones and crashing rocks seem to give you the idea that perhaps something may have happened. 
And as you feel the vibrations in your dagger vibrate a couple more times, as if something's struggling in its last breaths, you feel the connection through the sending spell come to a close coldly in your mind, as if, I don't know, dying in your head. So what would you like to do on your turn? Well, it's complete magical darkness, right? Yep. Cool. Uh, I mean, you you heard where some people went, but apart from that, yeah. I think it's just going to head towards where she heard Valaketh dropping cheesy one-liners. You're going to attack Valaketh? Yep. Attack the darkness. Do it. So you bum rush the darkness. I'm just kidding. So you rush straight forward and you feel the air around you getting cold. Kind of like when you go into the deep, deep part of the water. You feel like the water temperature drop. You know what I'm talking about? That's how the air feels. Like you feel it drop 20 degrees as you step forward 15 feet. Like it just goes to deep night as you get closer. And you hear a whisper channeling in your head. And it says, as you get closer and closer, the darkness kind of beckons you as you get closer. And it says, good, attack me if you will. But use my own blade against me. Not a chance, Klika. Well, it's definitely worth a shot. Um, yeah, and then Klika will make an attack with the Flicker Shadow Blade. Okay. Uh, and it's gonna... I'll do... Oh. Hmm. Right. Yeah. I'll do Booming Blade. Okay. okay. Oh, does a 12 hit? I don't think so. It does not. Okay. Almost to the point that when you swing in, you feel the blade like get murked up in the darkness in front of you as you swing wildly and blindly. And the darkness in front of you, just kind of looming overhead, seems to cackle with laughter at you. And it says, do you not understand, Klika? You think this blade found you by accident? It was always mine, and you will be mine too. Mm. Uh, doing anything else on your turn? Yeah, I'll uh, bonus action fire shield. Okay. What's Which, the fire shield do again? Uh, cast. I don't know if it's going to do anything in magical darkness, but it casts bright light within 10 feet, dim light for 10 feet beyond that. Uh, and then if I get attacked, it does fire damage to whoever hits me. Okay. Fair enough. So the, the painfully radiating heat of the fire shield goes up in front of you and around you, and you just feel the smoldering heat as if fire is inside of a room filled with black smoke. And you can tell by like the bright light of the fire around you that it's like illuminating between the inky black spell of the darkness around you as if you would normally be able to see, but this magical darkness is too potent for this sort of light to penetrate. 
And as you do so, uh, a black hand seems to reach through. Not that you can sense it by its vision, but instead you just feel the darkness get closer and closer to you. Can you roll me a constitution saving throw? Yep. That's a soft Insta 20. Death. Soft 20? Yeah. Okay. And so with that, my friend Klika, you take. You have no damage resistances, right? Not without... Well, I, right now I have uh, cold resistance because of the fire shield. Okay. So that you take 36 points of necrotic damage. Yep, that'll just do it. What do you mean? That'll be 36 damage that I can't do anything about, yeah. Then how much damage gets reflected? Uh, was it a melee attack? Mm-hmm. Oh. I'll consider it that for your sake. Okay, well, then it will take 12 fire damage. Okay. And as you do so... Okay. The darkness begins to slowly lower around you guys as the spell begins to kind of dwindle and lower around you. Um, the only remaining wraith that hasn't turned around and run for the hills like a big sissy, um, the two that were next to Anton and Jarzak, you two can get in attacks of opportunity if you'd like to. Neither of them have been hit yet. I, I would, as Kalika like to say, you've Sorry. Yeah. Followed us for so long, and you hurt Jarzak, and you made him really sad sometimes. And Klika's not gonna forgive you. The beckoning, chuckling laughter here in the darkness says, "You not, you do not understand even your own purpose, you writhing worm." I hope. Your father rots in the abyss for all he has done. And the darkness begins to lower still. So what did uh, Anton and Jarzak get on the uh, attacks of opportunity if they went for them? Jarzak will definitely go for it. True. Uh, 17 Anton go for it too? Oh, sorry. Seventeen's well, what, good. What I what I use? Would I have to just use an unarmed strike, or didn't you take the uh, war casting? Yeah. Thirteen damage. You could use a cantrip. Okay, I was thinking. I think I'll do secret flame. Okay. Is that a saving throw? That is a yes, a saving throw of a fifteen of dex. Five. So go ahead and roll the damage. Eight points of damage. Okie dokie. We'll say that you hit the same one that was going after Jarzak. Or at least that Jarzak was going after. And the only one who is not stopped is the one going after Norhill. And with that, it continues to try to siphon the life out of him in the darkness while the darkness begins to dissipate. I got a 23 on the roll. Can I get a constitution saving throw from Norhill? I've been rolling so many D8s in this combat. It's pretty wild. Nine. Okay, so you take 17 points of necrotic damage, 
that is 17 points of uh, health that you're, sorry, your maximum is decreased by 17 points now. Well, with that, the Durgar wraith before you says, just give it up, Lord of the Halls. Return it to the people who deserve it. You know what your ancestors did. And if you are too foolish to know where it is, you should just die and wallow in the pain. Well, Where at least for no. your kind, I'm afraid. I choose to forge ahead. And with that, it goes to Jarzak with the nine, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Before I let that go, both of the raids that we're running are now flying 60 feet directly into the air and away. Okay, then. I'm oh, sorry. Go... Double dash, 120 feet. I'm going to go over to the one that Norhill's dealing with and try and get flanking on it. I'll use my bonus action move if I need to. I'll give you inspiration on it. Arzak abandoned fleeing opponents who are wounded to try to save Norhill. I'm going to give you advantage on this, and you got to explain to me how that works. Uh, we've definitely made it canon that Jarzak's likes he, he likes chasing guys, right? You can't even say Jarzak can't fly because Jarzak can't. Yeah, fly. I definitely can. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely have the spell slot available to fly. I could definitely fly. I uh... Jarzak regrets it. He's like, changed my mind. Oh, <laughs> Noriel, you got it. <laughs> uh, no. Um, Norhill, everyone, I'm I'm gonna need your help dealing with this deceiver guy. And I go rush over to help Norhill. Very well. So the kindness is <laughs> merely it's, it's because beneficial. he needs a lot of HP <laughs> for this one. <laughs> All right, go ahead and roll with the advantage on it. That's gonna be a. Uh. Uh, it's, I already rolled. Oh, well. I'm pretty much always going to use great weapon fighting, even if I don't have advantage, so... But I, that just... minus 5 plus 10 thing? Yeah. Okay, I'll accept that from here on in. Okay. Yeah, I'll announce if I'm not, but that's... that's Jarzak's not going to... It's more damage. Uh, it's a 18 to hit. It's good. Uh, twenty-four damage. Okay. Nice. Okay, uh, and you got a second attack. Yeah, and uh, that's a nineteen to hit. Okay, that's good. Seventeen damage. That is a kill. Another head lopping like Aragorn. Yeah. It might be the one thing you two have in common. Jarzak and Aragorn just really like cutting heads off. I don't know why that's such a thing, but like, there's a lot of heads that roll for Aragorn in those movies. Because it makes and us so with look that, so sick. Yeah. You both use a two-handed sword, do so. But with that, um, yeah, no, the head lops off the Durgar, and at the last second, uh, Norhill sees its ghostly visage for one last time as it looks 
pitifully towards him after getting stabbed once through the back. And then the second time lopping its head off, it looks to him and it says, as it kind of looks to you there, uh, the ghostly visage as the head tumbles off and dissipates in a smoky darkness. It um, seems to beckon to you and it says, you must find it. They will come for you too, Lord of the Halls. You can never escape. And it dissipates into nothingness. So now the only raids we have left are the two that were flying away and the combat initiative goes from Jarzak to Anton. Uh, the only other terror out here on the battlefield is, I don't know, Valaketh with like a strangle grip on Klika. Is it still is pitch black? No, the darkness has now faded away. Okay, I, I thought or at least insinuated yeah. that, but... Did, did I have any more movement left? Uh, I use my... I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, you probably use the majority of your move to get over there. Okay, uh, then I'll just move towards uh, the deceiver as much as I can, so... Okay, okay. We'll say you're like 20 feet from him at this point. Okay. Okay, so what would Anton like to do? I was going to do then a Radiance of the Dawn, but if the Darkness spell isn't really there, I don't know if it'll have much of an impact at this point. It'll still potentially do damage to the Deceiver. Let's do it. Screw it. Uh, He would have to, and at least the rates of it, if it affects them at all, would have to make a con saving throw. Have to okay, dokey. Meter, meter 15. <laughs> okay, I beat it. Okay, then you take half damage. One second. Is it Radiance of the Dawn? Radiance of the Dawn. <laughs> what does it do? One second. Ronnie, do you know what it does? Dan, I'm dealing with a lot of other stuff right now. I'm just giving it. I'm only kidding, Ronnie. <laughs> just looking through the list it's, and you're like, that it's one looks nine good. points of damage because uh, they succeeded. And it, it looks like just like, I think just like a big blast from his lantern. Okay. Was it an area effect? Um... You know, I'm not sure if Radiance of the Dawn is an area effect. Does anybody know? I can look it up. Oh, wait, is Radiance of the Dawn not a spell? No, no it's, it's a class it feature. It's a channel divinity. Yeah. That's what I thought. For a second, I was like, huh, it's weird I can't find it in any of my spell books. Uh, <laughs> so it is a spell. Yeah. Uh, 30, uh, so it's, yeah, it's a 30 foot radius. Yeah, it's each hostile creature. So. Because I was actually going to say that the darkness would have been there until the end of his turn, but because Radiance of the Dawn goes off, it expels the magical darkness, and then he takes that damage on top of it. And so at this point, now that he is hit with that radiant damage, and it sort of illuminates his form, and you see, again, almost like a black cloud illuminated by a bright light, it's almost like the cloudy darkness of himself is a physical form all in its own right. Again, he's just like a, like a twister of darkness with piercing yellow eyes inside of it. 
But um, was there anything else you were going to do on your turn or anything you wanted to say as you channel your divinity? No, I think his I think his biggest concern after that is just trying to get him away from Kleeka, like find a way to separate them. But I think he's more afraid of like shooting a fire spell and hurting Kleeka in any way. So that's right, what he's trying to puzzle it. through right now. He just wants to get her out of there. Okay. And are you gonna stand put? Um, I think he'll Uh, yeah, I think I'll stand okay. for now. Yeah, we want to help Kleeka, but not when we're gonna possibly die ourselves. Well, I'm I'm <laughs> just trying to I don't like I don't know I'm trying to think of like any other spell I, I can do like in terms of bonus action spells. The worst kind of healer is a downed cleric. So, um. Okay, in that case, uh, we can jump to Norhill at last in initiative. The darkness is now fully dissipated. Uh, how far away are Clay and the Deceiver? From you? Yep. About 45, 50 feet. Okay, uh, so Norhill is going to hustle up to probably stand next to Anton uh, to sort of take stock of the situation. Okay, it doesn't look good. All right, so yeah, he's going to use his action to close the rest of the distance and bonus action, second wind. Okay. look good. <laughs> All right, so I get 14 health back, and that is my entire action economy. Very good. The economy is booming. So now it goes to Kliga. Hey, it's Kliga's turn. Uh... Did anyone actually get into flanking with him? If you want, Norhill could have gotten into flanking. Yeah. Okay. I know that's kind of a sacrifice for that sentinel business, but... All right, nice. Right? Uh... Yeah, it has to be somebody within five feet of me. Okay. But yeah, the one with limited uses also works on me, so it's you no know, skin off my nose. Uh, okay, that's a twenty-one to hit with the shadow blade, booming blade combo thing. Yep. Okay, he's at twenty-one to hit. Yep. Okay, that's good. Okay, that is 11 psychic damage, 4 thunder damage, and 5 magical physical damage. So, 20 total. How much was the magical physical? 5. Where's the thunder damage coming from? Booming. Oh, yeah, yeah. As it levels up, it does damage. Yeah. So, as you stab into it like that, um, was there anything else you wanted to do for your turn? Does it look like any of those damages hurt it? Yeah, you you sure did stab him, and it, it did damage. It just doesn't seem like you're doing much of anything to him. Okay, I will uh, spend two more sorcery points and do it again. The entire thing? Yeah. Very well. 
That's a 26 to hit, so... 25 damage total, and I can give you the breakdown if you want. I just want another magical physical. It's always five, because that's just my dex mod. Oh, okay. Thanks. All right, so that damage is chipping up. So with that, as the Deceiver reaches in one last time with its claw towards Kalika's neck, he sees Kalika kind of wince back for a second at the thought of the cold grip potentially being enough to kill her. And as he notices Norhill tumbling in behind him, sees Jarzak striding up and Anton getting ready with the lantern for another burst of whatever. Oh, um, actually, I will and- use Fury of the Small to do a- an additional eight damage. Yeah, always do this. I can't help myself. 30 seconds after your turn. I just, every time. And it does nothing ever. Nobody's ever died from it. Even if they did, I wouldn't even allow it. It's the best skill. Tell you what, Fury of the fucking late. (laughs) Um, So, uh, can I have everybody roll a con saving throw? Heyo. That's an 11. 2 plus 9. 15. 19. What was that? 19. Okay. Well, what about Anton? 15. What was it? 15. Okay. So everybody except for Jarzak takes a full brunt of this. The magical light of the lantern is extinguished. <clears throat> Which, as you may have remembered, it pretty much survives in every condition. So as the deceiver kind of reaches one arm up towards the night sky. You can see a single star seem to deplete for just a second, and he thunder smacks into the ground in absolute darkness. Yes, there is a thundering boom of implosive damage, which totally kills him. But as he falls to the ground, um, he deals oh, two I- points of damage to everybody who didn't save. And Jarzak takes again? 11. 22? 22 points of damage. Yeah. And Jarzak. Necrotic. Jarzak, however, takes 11. And with that, he disappears into the ground as the darkness disperses and insects come rolling out from underneath. Uh, rocks and and grasses every which way they could possibly be scattering out from this fight and skittering away. And so I guess... He he takes nine thunder damage on the way out. Yeah, you know what? I already (laughs) said, okay? Doesn't matter, okay? You and your late fucking damage rolls. I was just waiting for you to finish talking this time. Gosh. So did anybody get dropped? Uh, Nor Norhill's sort of huffing and puffing. He looks very pale, but he needed to try a little harder. He didn't even draw blood. Norhill just got a gaping hole in his back. Uh, even, even with the reduced maximum, Norhill is not bloody. All of Kleeko's fingernails fell off, but Kleeko's okay. Because that's what necrotic damage does. That's so gross. Only <laughs> that's that. the only damage Kleeko took. But she is very bloodied from necrotic damage. It's just fingernail damage. So, again, Anton's lantern light has gone out from the darkness. And it doesn't seem to come back. 
like um, a you would expect something of like a flickering flame might come back after a hard gust of wind. He looks a little panicked. And then seeing the lantern, he kind of just like knowing that we're not really good shape, he kind of like ruffles at his um robes and tries to pull out like a talisman, like something he had before he obtained the lantern. I think something mm-hmm. just like a symbol of a sun just to give everyone a chance to heal up. I mean he, like tries it, to concentrate willpower on like the lantern itself. It's pitch black right now, right? Because the lantern yeah, went out. Stars out. Yeah, so Kliga will go up to uh, Anton and if because he's holding the lantern now, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Kliga will go up to Anton and like grab his hand just to let him know that we're still here and everything because we can all see that we're fine. Mm. Uh, so you can do a if, prayer healing. Give everyone say, twenty-five points back. From what? Anton knows about the the lanterns, the light bearers lanterns here. They are not illuminated in any way by like an actual fire, but only through the light of the illuminator. And more importantly, through the faith bound connection between the wielder of the light and the illuminator. So for a split second, Anton's panic seems a little bit more justified when some sort of severing distance appears between the Illuminator and Anton, sort of like what happened when the Felurian aspect there was able to sever the healing ties for a bit. But seeing that the light doesn't come back immediately, I mean, you can try to focus and pray and have the light come back if you'd like. Yeah, he's going to do that after healing everybody. He's just going to like sit with it and meditate on it. And as Klika comes over and offers warm gestures, um, the light begins to bud and bloom like some of the flowers you'd seen with inside the lantern, and the dim light begins to grow to a faint and warm glow. He just like sighs in, in relief and just kind of holds it close, murmuring, but I think hopeful. I was, oh, sorry. I was going to say it seems kind of almost an answer to Anton's sort of budding fear and faith sort of uh, uh, issues here that he's had along his trials in the past few weeks, if not months, is something so simple as prayer and faith, bringing back something so immensely powerful and important as a lantern in the darkness. And that just by the sheer will and love of those around him, that light comes back very easily. So how much healing would you like to do? I did 25 healing to everyone. Holy shit. Uh, also, can Klika try and look, now that she's not magical darkness, towards where she thinks she felt the earthquake come from in the distance? There's still an immense dust cloud over at the base where Dustwind was. Now that you mention it, that did feel like an earthquake. Klika was talking with um, her dad, maybe, Um, but he stopped responding right around when there was that big shockwave. 
Uh, Norfolk is yeah. going to look out towards where the dust cloud is and see if maybe he can tell something about what happened, like geologically speaking. I want to say everybody looks in that direction. And um, by the way, uh, Klika, you recall his name as Ador Alum Grabber. Very strange name for a person, but Ador Olam Grabber. But as everybody looks into the distance and sees such a strange visage as like a mountain slide over Dustwind, something of like the mountainside just cracking and falling, exploding like that, everybody is brought back in a very humbling way to a terrifying moment not too long ago of a very tragic event where an entire gulch seemed to collapse in on itself in an unearthly supernatural fury. And for just a moment, as everybody looks into the distance, you think you see something of a flicker as if starlight perfectly triangulates off of some shining metal form in that dust cloud in the distance. And that is where we're going to end it. Hey everyone, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of the podcast. It really means a lot to me to have everybody listening in. And if you have anything you'd like to say, any comments or anything like that, shoot me a tweet over at ygrognard on Twitter, or you can even send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. I look forward to everything you guys have to say, and it's always a pleasure to engage with anybody listening to the show. And as always, be sure to keep things... Dungeons. Dungeons.